Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Muscle aches. Rashes. To find an answer. Hair loss. I'm so tired. You need to ask your doctor the right question. Could I have lupus? For answers, for support, for hope, visit CouldIHaveLupus.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office on Women's Health and the Ad Council. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter.com slash Joy Keys, and you can become a fan on Facebook. Just check me out there. Look up Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. And I'm also on Instagram. Check me out there. Tag me in a photo. You might win a prize. You guys know I give away books and CDs and Starbucks gift cards, all types of things. So definitely follow tweet, you know, Facebook, whatever, and you might be surprised. Uh, today I'll be giving away uh, a book, so you want to follow later on after the show to see how to win a copy of the book. And also later on I'll be giving away a, down, a download from iTunes. So, uh, again, definitely check me out on iTunes, um, on, I'm sorry, on Twitter and Facebook or Instagram to see how you can win. Well, today I am speaking with an author across the pond, as they say, <laughs> um, and she is a daughter of a very famous activist, uh, environmental activist, uh, Ken Sarawiwa uh, from Nigeria. Um, but she has come into her own with her book, Looking for Trans Wonderland, Travels in Nigeria. Um, she has written a wonderful travel book about all different parts of Nigeria, not just the regular Lagos area you might think about, but on the outskirts um, and looking at different ethnic groups, um, historical, you know, artifacts, mountains, different ways of transportation, uh, all types of things. So uh, today I speak with Noa Sawariwa. She's all the way in uh, London. Good morning. Good afternoon. <laughs> good morning. Afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> thank you again. Me. Oh, thank you again for, you know, taking the time to speak with me today. Um, your book is just, wow, so detailed, so entrancing. Um, and again, as I mentioned before, it draws me in like, I want to go to Nigeria now, but then I don't want to go to Nigeria now. Like, I'm nervous, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's what Nigeria is about. You know, you, you, you don't go there just to purely have a good time. You go there for an experience, you know, and it can be, you know, life-changing and really change your perspective. And for me, that's what travel is about. You know, I'm, I'm not going just to rest my feet and, and just have a, a really wonderful, relaxing time. You know, I just go there to learn and observe and just, you know, have a real experience. And well, so, definitely. definitely gives you that. <laughs> yeah, definitely you had a real experience. I mean, you were not living the high life the whole time. I mean, you were no electricity, you know, going to get your water and then other times, you know, going to the refrigerator and lounging on the sofa, watching cable TV. So you had the, the, you know, gamut, you ran the gamut of different travel experiences and how, how different, you know, people live. But let's, let's start at the beginning of 
you know, why are you a writer? You know, why are you writing? Why are you not doing something else like law or medicine or, you know, I don't know, being a police officer? Why, why did you become a writer? <laughs> I don't know. I just think I've always wanted, I just like writing. I love travel and I love writing. And I started off thinking, oh, I must be, let me be a journalist, um, you know, like a foreign correspondent. But then, you know, a year at journalism school at Columbia in New York um, made me realize that no, I wanted to be, um, you know, a kind of travel writer and just, you know, exploring um, the, you know, the human race, but through, uh, you know, everyday travels rather than, you know, hard news and, and geopolitics. And, uh, and I guess, you know, I, I, sort of, I like cultural anthropology in a way, you know, I, I like to understand the world. And, and, and I found that some, you know, certain travel books I've read in the past really inspired me and, you know, illuminated, the, you know, things about certain societies and so yeah I wanted to, to do the same and the fact that my father was a writer actually had no bearing on, on mm-hmm. that. People often think that you know um, you go, you're following in your father's footsteps but uh, you know it, I didn't actually realize I wanted to be a writer until I was 25 and it really was the culmination of you know just recognizing my different strengths and different interests and, and putting them all together um, in, in, this, in this particular way. So, yeah, I, you know, for me, it's just the perfect niche. It just suits me right down to the ground. <laughs> so what do you think you've learned about yourself in traveling? What, what's something that you said, you know, wow, I didn't know that was how I was going to react or, you know, what I was capable of. What's something that you've learned about yourself in, in, in all these travels? Um, well, I know that while I sort of worry about the risks of things, I find that my curiosity will just take me anywhere, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realize that now. I always start off a journey thinking, oh, I mustn't go to this occasion, I mustn't do this, and I mustn't do that. And like when I was in Lagos, for example, you know, I had this policy I set for myself at the beginning of the trip, never to carry my visa card unless I actually, you know, really had to, and never take my camera. And then, the, you know, I found myself doing that. And you wake up and... And it's like, well, I, I need my camera, you know, and I need to, you know. And so you just find yourself doing things out of necessity. I, I never allow, um, you know, fear to uh, get in the way of that. But on the other hand, um, I realized that actually I'm a real coward when it comes to, you know, revealing certain aspects of myself. So, like, Nigeria is a really religious place, and I'm not mm-hmm. religious. And, uh, and I felt like, I, you know, I have to be in a closet about these things. And I was really shocked at that, you know, because... In, in England, I'm completely different. You know, if a, if a you know, Jehovah's Witness or someone comes to my doorstep and wants to, you know, sell me their product, as it were, uh, you know, I always have a few words, you know, to, to say to them, and I engage in a debate. But um, I found that when I was in Nigeria, I was, you know, I was terrified of um, admitting that, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, this religious person. I don't go to church. And, and uh, so, you know, my aunt confronted me about it, and... Uh, you know, I, I just sort of curled up into a ball, metaphorically, and, and uh, <laughs> I'm really shocked at that, you know. <laughs> it's so thinking, you know, that I'm a, a real fighter by nature, and, you know, it turns out that I'm very argumentative when it comes to um, taxi fares and things like that, but um, when it comes to big things like religion and whatnot, um, I'm quite pathetic, so, uh, but that was, that was then, you know, I've learned from that. Yeah. <laughs> well, talking about religion, one of the... Talking about religion, one of the things that your book delves into is the the mass uh, bloom of Christianity um, and a particular um, strict form of Christianity and and people getting mega churches 
in, in, in Nigeria. Talk to the audience a little bit about what you learned there about this development and, and the, the, the mass amount of people involved in Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, uh, Nigeria is very, roughly speaking, split. You know, the, 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 the north is Muslim and the south is Christian. And, um, so, you know, uh, over the years, this very sort of charismatic-style Pentecostal uh, Christianity has, has taken hold. And, and this, you know, it started really in the 80s when the IMF imposed, you know, sort of structural adjustment program. So the government had to cut spending and unemployment went up. And things got really tough for people. And around that time, you had um, uh, Nigerian teaching based in the U.S. coming back to Nigeria and importing American-style, charismatic, uh, profit kind of driven Christianity. And, and you know, the, the people um, really took to it in Nigeria. You know, it's um, but, you know, it's just it's poverty and, and desperation. And when you live in a society like Nigeria, when you're dealing with these governments, and at the time, military governments, you know, so corrupt and, and just so, you know, unyielding in their disregard for the population, you know, you will turn to anything, and, you know, and that's what happened. And, but also, you know, because the economy wasn't doing well, um, Christianity became a route for entrepreneurship. Mm. And you've got this, you know, proliferation of churches. And, you know, don't get me wrong, there were some very good churches in Nigeria doing really good things. And, you know, the spiritual aspect of Christianity, you know, is a wonderful thing and it really helps people. But there's this kind of material side and you have these charlatans, you know, who take advantage of people's vulnerability and desperation. And so they'll set up churches and you can go to, you know, any street in Nigeria, including the residential street where my family has a house. And you will find, you know, church after church. And when I was a child, there were no churches on that street. You go mm-hmm. down, and you see all these signs everywhere. And, and um, you know, it's become sort of big business. And, uh, you know, the preachers are very charismatic. You know, they're wearing sort of white uh, suits. And, you know, they're, they're dollar millionaires. They have uh, private jets, everything. And, um, and it's just, you know, if you go onto YouTube, you will see just some ridiculous videos just, you know, of these preachers and the things they get up to in their church services. And, you know, the whole thing is just, it's right for exploitation, you know, for sexual abuse, for financial fraud, everything. And um, and so to me, I ha- you know, I have real difficulties um, with that aspect of things. And, you know, I just found that it was everywhere. And, you know, you're traveling on a bus and you'll see someone reading a book and you'll be like, oh, you know, they're reading a book. And, and you, know, you read over their shoulder, and then you, you know you see that it's just it's nearly always um, uh, a religious book. You know? Yeah, I see more yeah. people reading Amanda Adichie's books in London than you do, you know, in Nigeria. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a there's a there's a cultural philistinism that comes with this kind of excessive focus on religion, and I, and I really I really struggle with that you know, personally. You know, it's funny because it happens in other places in the world. You know, for example, in Brazil, there was a, you know, a large, mm. at one point, you know, um, influx of, of, you know, the, the church coming in and trying to, you know, convert people and also a very strict, again, a strict form of, you know, Catholicism, um, you know, that was, mm. uh, I guess, running through the different favelas, you know, and making people give their money up, mm. but they barely could eat. 
So it happens all yeah. over the world. This this turning toward religion, um, for mm. for you know for a light, if you will, in their life. But at the same time, mm. then then people use that light to suck the light out of people. You know what I mean? Like it happens exactly. all over. Exactly. You know, um, yeah. it's like yeah, why am I giving all this money? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Yeah, the Catholic Church in in, in you know in Europe centuries ago exactly the same thing, and that's what. Protestantism was born out of it was you know trying to get rid of this you know corruption and, and people paying priests money in exchange for forgiveness you know and uh, so yeah you know it's always a danger and it happens everywhere and right now yeah. you know it's, it's happening very intensely in, in Nigeria. Now, one of the things you find out in your travels is you're you're going and you're looking at these different places, museums and artifacts, and the fact that they are uh, in ruins, unfortunately. Um, where, like, you know, mm. here in America, if I go, I can go to beautiful museums. Things are really kept. I can't even touch, get close. And um, in your experience, mm. you were able to, like, get up close and feel and breathe and all, so, so to speak. Um, yeah. What do you think is going to happen? Is it going to continue to fall apart? And is there anybody there fighting to get these, you know, artifacts noticed? Um, or is it just going to continue yeah. to fall apart? What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's not, I mean, I would say that a lot of our best artifacts aren't even in Nigeria anymore anyway. You know, the British, um, when they uh, destroyed the Empire of Benin at the um, very late 19th century, they, um, you know, they took a lot of the best specimens um, back to Europe. And so if you actually want to see the best of the Benin bronzes, uh, you go to the British Museum, or you go to the mm. Louvre, or you go to the ethno Ethnographic Museum in Berlin. That's mm-hmm. what amazing specimens from all over Africa. Um, and so what we have left isn't, you know, amazing, but it's, you know, it's it's it's, it's real. It's there. Um, and um, yeah, I just, you know, looking after museums are like infrastructure. Um, it's all part of the same thing. If the government neglects its electricity and its roads education, then it's going to neglect its museums as well. It's all part of the same thing. So you can't really call for uh, the government to improve museums. You know, you have to wait for improvement everywhere else first. Right, right. Yeah, it is, you know, it's it's a real problem. But, you know, we have, there are are Nigerians um, who are really interested in, in, um, you know, the history and artifacts and whatnot. And You've got writers like uh, Morris Archibong, uh, who um, he's a really good travel writer um, for a, a newspaper. I think it's the Sun newspaper in Nigeria, and he travels around a lot writing about these things. And you've got writers like uh, Penny Aluetu, he's on Twitter, and he he's always uh, going around you know different places in Nigeria and, and writing about all these, uh, you know, tourist hotspots. He's a, he's a real advocate of that sort of thing. So, you know, you have people out there who, um, you know, are, are trying to, um, you know, who have concerns about this sort of thing and, and you know, are, are, are trying to, who write about it and, and, and inform Nigerians, you know, about our cultural heritage. Um, you've also got, like, websites, uh, like the CBD Institute, um, uh, which is run by uh, a woman called uh, Oregisu, 
Um, and that's really good as well. And, you know, she's on a mission to, you know, gather all of Nigeria's, um, you know, sort of cultural memories, photographic, right. um, as well as written and everything. So, yeah, there are people out there doing stuff. So, you know, you need the government, ultimately, to, uh, you know, to, to really participate to make and take control. Talking about the government, mm-hmm. um, you you visited um, some, your brother is working. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it okay to, to in the government? And um, I guess it was it your cousin um, who had an office um, in the building near. And the talk about the the strike difference. My brother had an office. Your brother had an office. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you know you look around Nigeria. It's so. You know, the infrastructure is terrible and, you know, and things just barely function. But then you go to uh, the presidential offices in Abuja, the capital city, and it's a whole different story. It's just it's so ironic, you know, that the people who preside over the, the, the mess that is Nigeria, um, you know, their offices are spanking new. We've got these kind of white neo-Islamic buildings, um, beautiful, you know, <clears throat> shiny cars, four-by-four cars everywhere. Um but then, actually, you know, when I visited my brother's office, um, it was actually quite shabby. And I was like, what's going on here? You know, hedging <laughs> and stamps and, and everything. And he was like, well, you know, this is, this is a budget that um, I'm given, you know, as part of, uh, under the, <clears throat> the, the River State government gives me. And I thought, well, hang on. Why, why are you being funded by, um, our, you know, River State, which is the state that our family comes from? Mm-hmm. When, you know, his job is actually was at the time um, you know, an assistant to the president's advisor on environmental affairs. You know, he's got his Which job is all of Nigeria, right? Not just office. the river state. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, ethnicity is so ingrained in Nigerian society that even if um, you work for the federal government in the, cap- in, in the capital city, um, you're still expected to be funded by the government of whichever region you come from. I mean, you know, can you imagine Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State working in Washington for all her salary and her office being funded by the Illinois state government because she's a mm-hmm. of the Chicago area? You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. And, you know, so that's what it's like in, in, uh, in Nigeria. And, uh, yeah, you know. The, the it's amazing that people don't lose their minds. I'm sorry, say that again. Oh. Uh, I was just going to say that it's amazing that people don't lose their minds, especially people who are very well educated, because you go to um, the university, um, if I'm pronouncing Ibadan, if I'm pronouncing correctly, mm-hmm. and, you know, there are young people there, Ibadan. they're vibrant, mm-hmm. and they are trying to learn and better themselves, and they seem hopeful, you know, amongst, even they don't mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. facilities, but they're like, yeah, we're hopeful, yeah, we're we're doing what we have to do here. Is yeah. anybody losing well, their mind, though? <laughs> well, I mean, you just you kind of just have to be very positive in Nigeria. If you, you know, if you have the sort of outlook that I have, <laughs> you won't survive. You know, you yeah. you've got to wake up in the morning and, and believe that um, you can improve your situation, and that's what Nigerians are, are very good at. You know, and some people use religion to do it. Other people, you know, are just born with this kind of innate strength and positivity, and you know, and they find a way to, you know, they all have jobs, you know, second jobs, third jobs. They, you know, everyone has a sideline, a hustle. Yeah. Um, but then, like your cousin, she didn't get paid for five months. Your cousin, she didn't get paid for five months. 
that was a part yeah. in there, and yeah. other people are working, they're going to work, but they don't get paid, and I've read this in other books and other conversations, and I'm like, I can't imagine myself going to work for months and months at a time and not getting any money, and then, you know, how do you survive, and, and that's how they survive. People have third and four jobs and, and, and borrowing money from yeah. people. You know, it's, it's, um, yeah. it's, very, yeah. it's very difficult for why. me. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you know, and that's why when you go to an office in Nigeria, you know, when you're dealing with Nigerian bureaucracy or, or anything, you go into a hotel and, um, you know, the workers just come across as very lacklustre, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. they, they just don't want to do the work. They're shuffling their feet, you know. Um, it's, it's very easy to make a very lazy assumption that they themselves are being lazy, but it's not, you know, they're not incentivized, you know. In the developed world, every boss will tell you that they incentivize their workers with bonuses and, you know, salaries. And so, you know, in Nigeria, when people aren't getting bonuses, they're not even getting their salaries. Um, it only makes sense that they're, they're not going to, you know, be doing their jobs, you know, with 100% enthusiasm. You know, or mm-hmm. Let's talk about the title. Let's talk about the title. We're we're getting close to our time. Trans world. Talk to the audience about what that means. Um, and uh, looking for trans wonderland. Trans wonderland. I'm sorry. Trans wonderland. (laughs) Yeah. Well, trans wonderland is the name of uh, an amusement park. It was kind of the guys that described it as um, Nigeria's answer to Disneyland. (laughs) So I thought, oh, this is exciting. So I went there, and, uh, you know, it was just typically Nigerian in that it was, you know, run down. There was, like, tall grass growing everywhere, and not many people around. And I, I just, you know, I thought, oh, okay, there's nothing um, going on here. Um, <laughs> but actually, it was still functioning. Um, you know, the guy, just, the manager there said, well, you know, just point to a ride that you want, and I'll press the button. <laughs> and, you know, anyway, so this, you know, this amusement park was just basically quite decrepit. And um, and in a way, it's a metaphor. You know, it, it symbolises what Nigeria for me was about during that trip. Um, that's what Nigeria is all about. It's this kind of potential, but you know, a dereliction. And mm-hmm. um, but I went to Nigeria because I wanted to sort of get rid of the the demon, you know, that I, I had over that country. You know, my father was murdered along with eight of his colleagues um, in 1995 by the military dictatorship. And so, you know, apart from going back to his funeral, um, I didn't go anywhere near Nigeria uh, for years. And so, you know, I was looking for a different side of Nigeria in my trip. Mm-hmm. I wanted to just experience the country in a different way. I wanted to see, you know, the, the tourist um, attractions, the rivers, the mountains, the gorillas, of the, the amusement parks, you know. So Trans Wonderland is a metaphor. It's, it, you know, symbolizes that other side of Nigeria. Um, but, you know, when I arrived at Trans Wonderland, you know, I found that the actual amusement park itself was a symbol of Nigeria in, in that, you know, it was being left derelict. And, you know, just slightly disappointing and, and, and frustrating in, in that respect, but potentially so beautiful and amazing. Yes, and one of the other parts you had gone to, the... Um the island uh, where the slave quarters were and, and on the beaches. And, and you talked about how there had been a great festival there. Um, um, and, oh, yeah. and there was a rock putting the date yeah. and there were spaces for, for future years. 
and there was no more future years because it got shut down because somebody tried to take over it and make money off of it <laughs> illegally, you know? Um, yeah, that, yeah. That's the type yeah. of thing that's happening, you know? It's like that wonderful, beautiful experience that could be right there at the tip of the tongue, so to yeah. speak, and then it just falters for whatever reason, mainly due to, due to corruption. Tainted. Yeah, it's tainted because, yeah, one person, one or two people need to make money, you know, at everyone else's expense. And, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, that is Nigeria in a nutshell. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's sad because that, that festival, Festac, was really, it was amazing. And if you go to the Antigone Institute website, you know, you'll see photos of it from the 70s great. So now let me ask you, as a traveler, what do you not leave home without? What What do you have to have in your purse, in your pocket, on your body when you go traveling? Um, oh, well, um, actually, it's my, my, it's my moisturizer, all that kind of stuff, you know. Sort of like, um, <laughs> my, my, hair <laughs> my hair moisturizer, um, you know, um, my... Um, uh, Cool. No special pocket knife oh, wow. or anything like that. No, no special camera. Uh, <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have to have a camera. Uh, these days, I have to have a phone because, um, you know, that's where I record conversations on and everything. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, because basically, as long as I have my laptop, my phone, my hair moisturizer, um, then I'm fine. You know, You're like good that, to go. Kind of, so now, if somebody's going to go to Nigeria, where should they start? Should they start in Lagos, or should they start on the outer edges, looking going to the animal wild reserves, or where should they start if they if they're going to mm. go to Nigeria? Yeah, I would definitely start in Lagos. Um, I mean, ten ten years ago, I, I might have suggested actually starting in Abuja. Um, actually, you could still start there. Abuja is much quieter, and you know, and it's just very easy to get around. Either way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but let's say start in Lagos, because, you know, Lagos is amazing. It's got everything. It's got extreme poverty, extreme wealth. It's a real party town, you know, great restaurants, jazz clubs, book groups, you know. It's just, mm-hmm. aspect, you know, certain aspects of it are just, you know, are very functional. Um, so, yeah, you know, most people who go to Lagos, you know, tell you they have a really good time. Um, yeah, so you go there, you know, check out, um, if you go to Cross River State in the southeast, that's really good. It's, you know, it's, it's the most well-run place in terms of tourist infrastructure. You've got a sanctuary in a forest where you've still got gorillas and chimpanzees. Mm-hmm. Um, Calabar itself is a really nice town on, on, uh, the cross, uh, by the Cross River. And the Cross River has a lot of cultural significance because uh, slaves came down from there, um, particularly at the Igbo ethnic group. And, you know, a lot of Americans Brazilians and particularly people from the Caribbean, you know, have um, evil ancestry. And so, you know, chances are, if you go to Calabar, you'll be on the river where one of your ancestors came down. And it's, and it's beautiful. You know, it's like fringed with uh, palm trees and mangroves and, you know, you can take rides on the, on the boats. Um, so, yeah, you know, I would go to Lagos. I would go to, um, you could just do those two things and spend time in Nigeria. Be- and, you know, yeah. A really good time. Mm. Now, one of the interesting things, um, and we have a couple minutes left, is um, you talked about the Brazilians um, in Nigeria, which was something I wasn't aware of. And the at one point mm. you were saying there was like 10%, I think it was, 5 or 10% um, uh, were Brazilian. And so that was a very interesting historical note I, I, I did not know anything about. Um, 
And that's what you were yeah, just saying yeah. about. Uh, yeah, you have some Brazilians who return to Nigeria in the same way that some Americans return to Nigeria. And, um, you know, there are free slaves and, and they built, you know, Brazilian-style, Portuguese-style architecture, which you can still see in, in, in Lagos, although it's, you know, it's crumbling a little bit. And, um, and you're still, you know, there are people in Lagos who have names like Da Silva and, and things like that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so, it's all, you know, it's all kind of there. And uh, so that's why I find really interesting. You go to Brazil, you see so much Nigerian culture in Brazil, and then, you know, they brought that back. Uh, it sort of came full circle in, in the very late 19th century. And, uh, but again, you know, you really have to, like, to look for it. It's not... Right, um, right. But it's still an interesting note that we're all connected in so many ways. Like we think we're isolated on this little, you know, country and then this continent and then this, this big ocean. But actually we still are connected even though these large waters are in between the different continents and things. So I think it was, it was just an interesting, yeah. you know, note um, in there. Um, now, lastly but not least is one of the things that your father fought for is dealing with the oil companies. Um and that is why, you know, he, he was fighting because they were destroying the lands around uh, where your people came oh. from, the Ogoni people. Um, so I just wanted to mention oh. that to the audience, you know, and that's still going on, you know, in there. Um, do you feel that it's better today than yeah. it was when your father was fighting about it or, or it's the same? No, I think it's, I mean, it's, you know, obviously the oil companies have to be more mindful now of, um, you know, respecting the environment. The, you know, the, gov- the government doesn't push them as much. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's a global awareness of the issue now. So that's, you know, a great legacy of my, my father's campaign. Um, I, well, I just want to thank you so much for coming on today. And I, I know that you're going to be writing another book for us for some other place so that we can read your delicious writing. Um, and I <laughs> hope that you'll, 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 come, you'll come back on. No, it was really, it was really a, a great read. Um, like I said, it drew me in. It, it pushed me away. It made me think, um, you know, I learned some new things, you know, about, uh, you know, like, say, Brazilians being coming back there um, and the different artifacts and things of that nature. But also you gave a nice historical uh, kind of like an overlay, you know, along with your daily travels. You, you brought up historical things that were going on. So um, I just want to thank you so much, and I, I hope you have a great uh, weekend. Um, thank you again for coming on the oh, show thank today. You. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Great talking to you. Okay, well, I will talk to you soon, okay? All right. <laughs> Have a nice day. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I hope that you will follow uh, Na, uh, her website is N-O-O-S-A-R-O-W-I-W-A. Again, N-O-O-S-A-R-O-W-I-W-A. Com. And also she's on Twitter with the same name, and you can follow her there and um, learn more about where she's going to be traveling. I'll be giving away a copy of her book, Looking for Trans Wonderland, Travels in Nigeria. So follow me at Joy Keys on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and check me out on Instagram. Uh, stay tuned. I'll be speaking with Laurel uh, Howry from The Carmichael Show next. Rashes. To find an answer. Hair loss. I'm so tired. You need to ask your doctor the right question. Could I have lupus? For answers, for support, for hope, visit couldihavelupus.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office on Women's Health and the Ad Council.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.